Hello and welcome to Basecamp, a climbing magazine podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Riley. Thank you for tuning in. Have quite the episode for you. First, we're going to be speaking with Anton Kropichka, a well-known endurance athlete here in Boulder. He was the first individual to come upon Kyle Walker, the climber that fell from the second flat iron and captured it on video. That video ended up going viral online and was featured all over the news. The incident caused some controversy online about scrambling, so I want to get Anton's account of the accident and how this accident and others have impacted his own feelings about the craft. We also spoke about the Scram Pack by Ultimate Directions that he designed. It's a very well thought out minimalist alpine pack for moving quickly in the mountains. I've been wearing it. I actually took it up the Skywalker Kular this morning up in the Indian Peaks. And I just absolutely loved it. So Anton shared his inspiration to design the pack and some of the intended uses. Then we have a conversation with Chris Schulte, a professional climber and boulder and recent recipient of the Access Fund Climbing Advocate Award. We talked about his Alpine bouldering article in Climbing's June-July issue, about what inspires him to put up FAs, and how he got into climbing in the first place. So without further ado, let's get to it. But first, a word from our sponsor. Tired of the same old lifestyle climbing shoe? Time to check out the Evolve Rebel, winner of Climbing's Editor's Choice Award. It has a lightweight feel and water repellent upper, a cushioned midsole coupled with a rubber toe cap for durability, and heel side reinforcement for stability. But don't take my word for it. Hear what these climbers have to say. And have you seen the new Evolve Rebel? I have, yeah. What do you think? They're sick. I love them. They look cool. They look steezy for sure. <laughs> I just got a pair in the mail, yeah. What do you think? I love them. I think they're awesome. They're like, you know, crack of the club type deal. Have you seen the new Evolve Rebel? Uh, no, not yet. They look cool. They're light. These are nice. Yeah, looks pretty good. Like, solid, comfortable, all-day wearing shoe. The Evolve Rebel, available now at REI and REI.com. Yeah, so what have you been up to recently? I saw you just did a bike race. Yeah, I just, I was, I guess, was that yesterday I just got home? No, day before yesterday, Sunday. Uh, yeah, we were in Kansas for a 200-mile bike race, and it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've biked that far probably three or four times before, but never raced that far. It's a much different experience when you're trying to go hard. Yeah. And what else have you been up to? I see you, or I saw on uh, Facebook that you have an injury you're dealing with. Yeah, so I have a stress fracture in my femur, uh, kind of like the proximal shaft in my femur, and that happened three and a half weeks ago. Uh-huh. Um, my previous plan for the summer, I had all kinds of running and climbing plans, and now I haven't. I've, I've been in crutches actually the last couple of weeks. Um, like I got the stress fracture, immediately went to Italy for a week, just limping around on it, like you know, traveling. Uh-huh. Um, came back, got it imaged, and yeah, stress fracture. And so I don't know. The femur's a big bone, so it might take a while to heal. Um, What's a while? Probably. Mm, have, have you talked? Well, to now I'm getting old, stuff? dude. I'm 35. Uh, <laughs> you know, stress fractures used to heal in a couple months, and now I had one four years ago, and it took from april until august to heal all that time so uh, i'm hoping that this doesn't take until september but. <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know i mean you know i love fall too but mostly i want to be able to get some alpine rock climbing in before it starts getting cold and snowy up there again you know yeah so. last time we chatted i was actually injured and it was the worst okay. summer season ever because i was just right. like so excited to get up into rocky mountain and indian were, peaks we, and was that maybe like earlier in the spring though when we were talked i can't remember it was uh, yeah it was a little bit earlier yeah. but still i was out for quite a while with a sprained ankle oh is that you had going okay it was just the worst yeah those things take forever to heal too because you always like retweak them and unless you're, just, you're alex honnold yeah, they get so weak and uh, yeah it's bad but i don't know the cool thing though is i can still bike um mm-hmm. i should be back to climbing man I, I was trying to climb in the gym just last week and it's funny how you don't realize how much is uh you're like pushing off of one leg when you're climbing mm-hmm. you know and it was hurting just doing that so but hopefully i can start doing some roadside stuff like next week and then in a couple of weeks from now maybe get back in eldo and nice yeah keep the climbing 
game going at least so cool but yeah biking for sure is good still nice well i want to talk to you about this second flat iron incident mm-hmm. because when i read about it i gotta admit to you i thought it was a hoax <laughs> because you know i watched the video i saw some of the comments yep where kyle thought he was like on a 513 and he was in running shoes i was like this has got to be a hoax nobody would be that crazy and there's not a 513 on the second flat iron. So it seemed right. like a publicity <laughs> stunt to me. Yeah. And then I read that you actually came upon Kyle yep. and helped with the rescue. And I was like, okay, well, I got to talk to Tony because it's obviously not a hoax. Maybe if you could kind of take me through that day before you came on to Kyle, like what were you up to in the flat mm-hmm. irons that day? Uh, well, it was definitely not a hoax. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've I've been involved in a few accidents in the mountains but nothing this graphic i guess probably that particular day i was just out for kind of like a very typical scrambling circuit for me i'd already gone up the first and i was kind of running down the freeway on the second flat iron Mm -hmm. um and planning on heading over to kind of the bluebell canyon area near the fourth flat iron where there's like morning after and challenger and green mountain pinnacle like that kind of stuff so i was just totally in my head like charging along when I was about halfway down freeway. I heard somebody yell kind of off to my right, you know, from the, from below, like the Pullman car there. And, uh, my first sort of inkling was, uh, that's sort of a rude way to say like, good morning, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like I was just a little bit like, Irk. but then I realized quite quickly, you know, like immediately that this dude was like needing help and was like calling for help. And you could see even from, he was probably, I don't know, less than 50 yards away from me at that point, like line of sight, but I could see that he was bloody and, Mm -hmm. you know, beaten up. So I scrambled over there. He's basically along the route free for all, which, you know, is like the five, six way to the summit of the second flat iron. Sure. And got up to him and like immediately, even before I got over to him, actually, I stopped and called RMR because I could just see like he was broken up, you know, you know, there's blood of on his head, all over his mind, uh-huh. really, just a bunch of, like, road rash. And what and, did you tell them on the phone? What was the Yeah, so that was kind of, it probably wasn't really worth calling them that early because I was like, uh, I'm on the east face of the second flat iron. There's a fallen climber below the Pullman car, below the summit block on the east face. And they're like, is he conscious? I'm like, yeah. Is he breathing? Seems like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he's yelling at me, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but then, so I was like, oh, well, let me, like, scramble over to him and I can give you like a more of an update of what's going on. And so I did, I got over there and it was obvious. I can't remember which arm it was, but one of his arms was obviously broken. It was just like displaced, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I guess he broke both of them though. And just all kinds of rash, you know, just like scrapes all over his body. Sure. And he didn't have a shirt on pretty bad head wound. Like I can't remember one of his temples. Um, so then I called them back and was like, yeah, he's, you know, clearly has a pulse and is conscious and lucid. Like, you know, I asked him his name, Kyle. And do you know how long he had been there before? No, he didn't know either. That was one of the things I asked him and, and he didn't know, like, obviously. Yeah. He Cause he was in and out of consciousness from what I heard. Seemed like it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure he was knocked out at some point uh-huh. and kind of came to and, but so then I was just sort of, you know, gave them my number and we were just kind of in phone contact to kind of guide them to us mm-hmm. and they were super prompt within maybe like 10 minutes of yeah. me hanging out there. Like I gave Kyle my shirt and, and cause I couldn't find his anywhere and he, maybe he just didn't even have one with him. Uh-huh. Um, and he was obviously in shock. And yeah. It was just like one of those mornings where it was probably like close to 60, but if the sun went behind the cloud, it was still kind of chilly. Yeah. And, uh, Let's see. Yeah, within like 10 or 15 minutes, another dude who was just scrambling up freeway just kind of wandered over to us. Like, I didn't call him over or anything, but, and he came over. I can't remember his name. I think maybe Adam. Okay. And uh, he he also gave Kyle a shirt, and we just kind of were hanging out there with him. Like, uh, RMR called a couple more times just to kind of like pinpoint where we were. And, uh-huh. um, eventually, when they had started, like, actually, you know, they drive all the way up to, like, Bluebell Shelter there. They mm-hmm. started hiking up. I was like, cool. Like, Adam, if you, like, if you stay here with Kyle, um, you're cool with it. Like, I'm going to scramble back over to the trail. 
and just intercept RMRs so mm-hmm. they can, like, get them exactly, you know, where we are and everything. And did it seem desperate at this time, or was he staying with it? Did it seem he pretty wasn't stable? Going, it didn't seem to me like he was going in and out of consciousness. It seemed yeah. like he was conscious but just in a lot of pain okay you know like which is understandable oh my gosh yeah um, i mean you know i think he ended up breaking his pelvis both arms oh. a few ribs yeah i can uh, i can imagine collapse alone kind of crazy um and so i did that scrambled over intercepted the guys coming up helped them carry a couple ropes up and that was kind of it then they're like oh yeah like i'm like you know he's right down there and they sort of wrapped in um, from the trail there off a tree and uh, I went on with my day. That was. That and then was what fun. did you do after? I, mean, uh, you... I remember, I, I think I went up green. Well, I know I went up green and I might've, I'd have to go back and look at my train log, but uh, I think I might've come down Bear Canyon and then up like uh, Regency, Fifth Flat Iron, Royal Arch, uh, Fist. I don't know. It's like the most continuous, yeah. long bit of scrambling in the Flat Irons. It's really cool. Um but I can't, I can't remember exactly, but that. So you weren't really shook up from the whole situation at all, huh? I don't know. I just felt kind of removed from it. Like I, I've spent a lot of time in the flat irons and I've seen a lot of different people up there. Most of them are pretty solid, but the second itself is so accessible. It's really easy to get in over your head if you don't know anything about mm-hmm. climbing, you know, and and it sort of seemed like that was the case with him because he was in running shoes. Not only was he in running shoes, but they were like road running shoes with barely any rubber on the outsole. Yeah. You know, it was like they weren't even like trail shoes, let alone sticky rubber approach shoes or trail running shoes. Um, What's your feeling about how he got into that situation? I don't know if you followed it all on. I line, did. But... I've read the Mountain Project thread. And yeah. Was, you know, sort of dumber for it but uh, <laughs> um, i mean that place is pretty bad it seems like i hadn't really realized how toxic it's gonna it get even happen. worse now that uh, uh, uh super, super topo is all closed topo down, yeah <laughs> um but uh i don't know yeah i mean has he touched base with you at all um so my buddy bill wright actually put us on an email together and i just kind of waited for kyle to to reach out but then like i was out of the country and Mm -hmm. i don't know but i didn't get an email from him and i don't know it's just i just i don't feel like i just happened to be the first human to come upon it you know i didn't really have any connection to it other than that but i guess i don't know i just thought yeah somebody just i guess i didn't i was a bit surprised afterwards when the full story came out like how technical and obscure of a route he was attempting yeah i thought maybe he had literally like had like slipped off of like dodge block or something mm-hmm. you know which is kind of like that gully route that goes up there beside freeway and then or maybe he had fallen off a free for all you know the mm-hmm. little five six section to get up and traverse underneath the pullman car and um but he was on north crack which is like a five nine five plus. nine plus so i'm assuming it's sandbagged it's yeah nine yeah plus and Tons of lichen on it. Yeah, and... yeah, rarely gets climbed. A bunch of like old pitons on it. Uh, my buddy Tony Bubb has climbed it, I know, and um, he was saying it's tricky. And I think he has a pretty good. Yeah, he's climbed he's a, a few very routes around climber, here. And he's climbed a lot. He's climbed like <laughs> basically every route in the flat iron. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I don't know. I was just, I was just very surprised. So, so then uh-huh. I guess when somebody was knowingly going up like a sandbagged five nine in road running shoes that's when i knew like oh he just like really had no idea about this mm-hmm. world you know um which is like a rank novice i guess sure so and it was a little strange to me that he went online afterwards and started posting these somewhat sarcastic yeah everybody comments. has their own personality I, yeah i guess it's not so. the way i would have handled it but <laughs> teach them and were you surprised by how much it was picked up by the mass media i mean i that was all over the evening news not just here in colorado but nationally it was in all the papers yeah they i mean abc like contacted me actually and i just declined to comment interesting i I I don't know i didn't feel like it was the kind of thing that was newsworthy Uh uh-huh yeah i was a little surprised that it showed up i think it was mostly just because they had a video of it yeah i just thought it was like a very local kind of like novice climber accident you know mm-hmm. like why just because there was gopro involved 
doesn't make a national news. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think. So that's, I, I didn't feel it was worthy of being national news and therefore why would I comment on yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And unfortunately, a couple weeks later, a week later, another individual passed away in Eldo. Oh, right. On the yeah, Bastille. Yeah, on Bastille, right. Yep. Which was, you know, just super unfortunate. And I don't know, it made me think a lot about scrambling and free yep. soloing. Yep. Is that something that you reflected on after, you know, yeah. these incidents that happened so close together? Because, um, I mean, you do well, they're, so they're much way, scrambling and soloing. Because, um, uh, the the guy who fell off of Bastille was a very experienced climber mm-hmm. and a very experienced Eldo soloist too. Um, I feel like maybe the first time I ever climbed an Eldo, I encountered him like soloing up Calypso or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, here nor there. No, of course it makes me reflect on because I mean I've soloed Bastille crack and I've always thought of it as being like not that comfortable actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like it's kind of slick and. But, um, yeah. you're an influencer. I mean, you're posting a lot about soloing and scrambling around here on the front range. I mean, yeah, I feel like, I feel like there's a big difference between scrambling in the flat irons and soloing in Eldo, but, um, and I, I don't know for me, I guess, you know, like a year ago, uh, someone who was actually buddies with Jason Wells, you know, passed away in Yosemite mm-hmm. and using, you know, climbing tactics that myself and a lot of my friends use all the time, you know, just simul climbing, running it out on easy train, that kind of thing. And that one really made me like step back and be like, whoa, like maybe it's just like putting more gear. Like mm-hmm. it's dumb. You know, yeah. why would you run it out? Like when you have gear on your harness, you know? And yeah, that one made me think a lot more, I guess just because I actually knew Jason yeah. and I had never formally met Bob and, you know, the, the man who fell off of Bastille and, Mm -hmm. and I guess, you know, and I just knew Jason to be a supremely competent climber and I wouldn't have ever expected him to like make him, it just felt so like random and objective rather than skill-based, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know, that one really, that, yeah, that one shook me for sure. Okay, well, let's talk about something that's maybe a little bit less dark. Yeah, yeah exactly. I don't know. It's This is like a heavy and very like, I think it's like a very personal topic for anyone who climbs without a rope. And it's hard to like, I don't know, putting into motivation, like into words, like your motivations. And and because I think that like the headspace is what protects you, you know, mm-hmm. and when you're when you're soloing. And so anytime that it's that gets that little veneer gets shattered a bit. But th- sometimes that could save you, right? Like yeah, if you're you, like, so confident, you might go it. over the line, but yeah. if you're not as confident, you might say, you know what? This just isn't worth it. And that's a lot like something I've been thinking about recently. Like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, I love scrambling in the flat irons, mm-hmm. but do I need to do it all the time? Even when it's like a day like today where it's maybe not raining, but it feels like it's about to rain yeah, or it's no, humid. It's I'm like, there all the time. Yeah, when it's like, I've like been racing thunderstorms on the flat irons yeah. and stuff. And, and you, cause you just get so confident with the terrain mm-hmm. and it's silly. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, it's like tough questions. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the uh, the scram pack that you designed oh, for right, Ultimate okay. Directions. Mm-hmm. I actually just got one myself. I love it. Okay. Um, so you got this cool little like um, you know minimalist backpack that for alpine climbing, yep. ski mountaineering stuff like that. Can you maybe tell me about the inspiration behind the pack as well as you know the process of designing it? Yeah, I would say for me the inspiration was definitely. A couple of years ago, I don't know, things just line up sometimes with your climbing where like partners are psyched and you guys mesh well. And and a couple of summers ago, that was happening for me in, in the Alpine here in Colorado, like in Rocky Mountain, where I was just getting on Alpine Rock a lot. And we we're yeah. linking together a lot of routes and in, in, in a day and, and realizing that you could approach some of these moderate Alpine Rock routes in a more like aerobic way, basically, where... Mm-hmm you know, you're, you're approaching very quickly, uh, you're running between routes and then you're like running the descent and you're, you're simul climbing with micro tractions and that kind of thing. So maybe you're only carrying a 30 meter rope and, and there just wasn't a pack that 
was a mix between sort of that cardio of being able to carry both your calories and your water up front so you don't have to take your pack off while you're like hucking it up to the diamond Mm -hmm. you know like running sections and that kind of thing and also being a very like slim highly technical alpine rock pack that uh carries everything you need and nothing more for a, for a day out in the high country uh stably and well and kind of unobtrusively as possible and so that was the inspiration for the scram and i think that we we kind of nailed it i don't know um <laughs> uh, you know it can maybe be a couple liters bigger it just depends on what your what your use is well there's but, another one that's similar right like the yeah mountain the all mountain which yeah. is uh closer to 30 liters i think it's a little bit behind in the development process still but you know the scram is on the market right now. And yeah. So what was like step ago. one of creating this? Step one was uh, yeah. So the the designer at Ultimate Direction, you know, which is here in Boulder, well, out just out in Gun Barrel, this guy Anders Mavis is awesome. He we just were it was hands on from the very beginning. And basically, I just took in like my favorite packs and was like, we need to make some combination of these. Basically, mm-hmm. like these are the features I like on this pack, and these are the features I like on this pack, and and let's try and like meld them together and you know make the ultimate pack and just i think i had a prototype i can't remember it was already a couple years ago Mm -hmm. um and you know like the fabric wasn't burly enough so then we kind of updated that and the ice axe holders weren't working quite the way i wanted them to you know kind of wanted to be able to like take an ice axe off without taking the pack off and Mm -hmm. you know for silly situations where you (laughs) Or like, you know, if you're a ski mountaineer and it seems like you're often like booting up a couloir and then all of a sudden you're like, oh boy, I wish I had crampons on. I wish I had my axe. Mm-hmm. Like it totally. just feels sketchy instantly, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, so it's just then just iterations of that and testing it. I remember a big test I did with it last year uh, in the spring was a full traverse of the Gore Range uh, on skis. Um, well, we didn't get the last peak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it turned into a very long day. But um, <laughs> anyways, and that was, it was sort of, to me, kind of like proof of concept because it ended up being really burly at the end of the day with uh, a lot of bushwhacking and the pack held up well. But, it, you know, it's a really high cardio thing where you want to have water and food up front so that you can like keep moving without having to stop. And to just, you know, get out a water bottle or something. But then also like constantly changing, like getting an axe out, putting crampons on, taking them off, like all that stuff, having quick access, you know, you don't want to A-frame up your skis. You want to be able to have like that standard schemo mm-hmm. hook and loop carry. So you can just take your skis on and off your pack very easily. And that was, yeah, like a big test for, for the ski mountaineering aspect of it. And I thought it worked really well. Yeah. And then now it's just, it's finally on the market and I think I'm happy with the way it turned out. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, I love it. I've taken it on a few multi pitches, taking mm. it up dragon's tail. Oh, okay. And right on. Yeah. So I've enjoyed it myself. So nice yeah. job. Yeah. And that's, a, yeah, that's exactly the kind of missions it's intended for in, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> well, I think that's all the questions I had. So I appreciate you stopping by. appreciate yeah. you uh, telling the story. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> uh, thanks. It's always good to speak with Anton and wishing him a speedy recovery. Hopefully he's up in the mountains sooner than later. Next, we have our conversation with Chris Schulte. But first, a word from one of our partners, the Access Fund. You kind of get up in those finger slots and you grab that horn with your right. And grab that, yeah, and grab that left edge and then you surf to that arete with your left hand. As climbers, it's important that we all do our part to protect the climbing areas we love and to be good stewards of the land. Recently, Matt Salmon and I went climbing with the new executive director of the Access Fund, Chris Winter. I got to ask him a couple questions. So what are some of the biggest threats that we're facing right now? Well, as climbing is growing so quickly, uh, some of our climbing areas, our more popular climbing areas, are being loved to death from overuse. Public lands are political football right now. Land managers are dealing with shrinking budgets and a lot of the hardware is aging. So we're at this pivotal moment where the sport's growing quickly, but we have a lot of these threats that we have to get our arms around. And what can climbers do to get involved? The best thing they can do is to support the Access Fund and support their local climbing organization. So join the groups that are really speaking up and uh, trying to do the good work on the ground for climbers. And get involved, show up for stewardship days, uh, trail days, and learn how to talk to your land managers about climbing. 
Awesome, awesome. Well, let's try to take down this monkey bar traverse, shall we? Yeah, that sounds great. Become a member and get involved at accessfund.org. You've done a bunch of podcasts, though. You were just on Jam Crack, huh? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been on Niall's show a couple of times. Um, this was the first one that we did that was like actually a, a, an interview. I've done a couple uh-huh. of readings yeah, for him I've before. Yeah, I've seen that. And um, yeah, I, it was kind of funny. We did it in the middle of the day in a pub. and you You're know, in Europe, right? Uh, yeah, at the time I was in Sheffield. Okay. Um, I'd, I'd gone to be in Font for a stretch, and uh-huh. the weather was pretty bad. Um, went down to Switzerland for a while and then came back to Font for a stretch and then had a week in Sheffield, climbed some grit. And uh, Was yeah. that your first time on grit? It was my second time. I'd, I'd been like 10 years ago now. Uh-huh. And uh, it was cool to come back. Um, What's your feeling about that style of rock? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah I'm like a huge it. fan. Yeah, the shapes and the textures is it's really good were you climbing boulders or routes or i guess they're I, kind of very similar <clears throat> over there. kind of yeah and I, I will say like sometimes you go up to some of the cliffs there and and you're like oh that's that's cute <laughs> that's basically a highball but then you go to some uh other routes or or even uh some highball problems there uh-huh. and you're like wow that's freaking tall man yeah. and with a terrible landing and all that but it's so green and so pretty there mm-hmm. um but it was it was kind of a spur of the moment sort of trip yeah. um i had intended to go back and climb roots next time i went but just wasn't prepared you okay know? so went and um made a little video uh for bd and uh hooked up with a couple of photographers and uh yeah just sort of had a good time springtime over there you okay know. yeah yeah. sun was out everything was <laughs> green getting greener that's you know? nice yeah so what have you been up to recently you told me you were over in uh durango and pot- looking to get to indian creek did you make it out there yeah yeah let's see when did we talk last um well just over email like i think like a week ago yeah like a week ago um so let's see i got back from europe uh middle middle end of february end of february and uh, pretty much went straight out to Indian Creek and mm-hmm. was there for a couple of weeks. Um, the season's been really dragging on out there. Uh, winter's been kind of coming back and forth. Yeah, it's been happening here too. It seemed like it was going to be over and then we got these crazy storms. And it's really been stretching out. Yeah. So like it should be, it should be like kind of getting hot in the desert by now. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, it's it snowed a few days ago like it, it snowed a considerable amount um but i was there and uh had some really good conditions um so you've been bouldering you're, you're kind of known as a boulderer i would say right yeah and do yeah, you think sure. of yourself yeah. as a boulder um i mean i i, I think of myself as a a climber, a climber. i guess yeah, but you know answer. i mean I, i've been climbing just this year i think it's it's 25 years okay and um i i started more into alpine climbing and ice climbing Mm -hmm. and stuff and and then trad climbing and then all of a sudden i was going to penitente in the creek and you know um and then then i was kind of just bouldering yeah and i pretty much just bouldered for over 10 years now but recently i've seen you putting up a lot of first ascents over in indian creek maybe not a lot but you've been putting some lines up right um a lot of boulders and and a handful of roots as well um Uh in the last couple years maybe like the last three years i've kind of been poking slowly back into root climbing and where's that med- uh motivation come from to get back on the routes Ooh, uh well at first um i think it was just being out in the creek and mm-hmm. uh putting up boulders and boulders and boulders and a, a lot of the best lines out there which is kind of what you can go for out there right now everything's fresh so you you pick the the, the sweetest plums kind of uh-huh. and uh so i guess the motivation probably came from being out there and climbing on these 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 kind of taller things you know and always looking in between the lines out at the creek you know yeah. seeing all these arets you can't help it they're uh-huh. they're amazing and it's just kind of outside of the ethic there you know people are you you come to the creek and crack climb you know so yeah. a lot of this stuff gets overlooked despite there being actually a handful of really good bolted and mixed roots out there mm-hmm. so um yeah the perception out there is different so there's a wide open space out there for development if you're into now that we've you know mentioned grit roots and stuff if you're into that style there's a ton of stuff out yeah there. so yeah i think it was just kind of a 
well, it's one of the cool things about climbing. If you if you do enough of one kind, you know, or if you get tired of something, you can switch over to another one. Mm-hmm. And is there a style of rock that you look for when you're looking at, you know, development? Um, I mean, is there a certain type of rock that really catches your eye? Uh, so I want to say what drew me to climbing were, it was the shapes, you know, mm-hmm. um, like I always thought things like Cerro Torre and, and all of these, uh, peaks in Pakistan and whatnot are just awesome. And, um, I kind of look at bouldering the same way. Like I want to huh. climb some shape that's, that's attractive to me. Um, I want to climb a, a line, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't like chase after, you know, um, movement as much as as a line okay you know um impressive lines um compression if i can find it and um you know to get more particular if i had to pick i'm I'm a pretty big fan of sandstone (laughs) 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 the the desert's really the desert really appeals to me right now and Mm -hmm. um i i'd say my three favorite climbing areas in the world let's say for boulders are uh, Font and Ticino in southern Switzerland and Indian Creek. Yeah. And I was just in the last two months in all three of those places, you know, and in in rapid fire, the creek's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of holding first place for me right now uh-huh. just because of uh, the lines and the space and um, the, the setting is really good. Yeah. Like being there is, is really cool mm-hmm. for for options, for potential, for peace and quiet yeah what have you and speaking about like kind of the creek and that atmosphere you just recently um got an award from the access fund the athlete advocate and steward award yeah and i mean you've always been active in conservation but what does it mean to you to be recognized by the access fund and and how do you kind of like look back at that oh it's 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 pretty generous of them it's nice to be to be thought of in that way you know i would say i've first started working with the access fund kind of coming in from the side we had like a uh uh the black diamond access fund rock project series which mm-hmm. ran a you know a handful of years ago and that was kind of a, a gym to crag educational initiative i would call it where we would go to uh, big cities that had uh, big climber population in the gyms and um we would basically go and, and teach these clinics about hey you know a lot of you have never been outside, right? You know, yeah. uh, we, you know, we did one in Brooklyn and, and no one in this 20 something person clinic, um, no one had ever been camping. Only one person owned a car you yeah. know, and, <laughs> and they live in the city, you know? So for example, uh, in that example, we went out to the gunks for the day mm-hmm. and, uh, did like a little micro trash cleaning chalk brushing project, you know, and then just went climbing. And, uh, you know, we all rode a bus up there and whatnot from Brooklyn and bust back down, got back at like 1130 or something. Yeah. And as soon as everyone gets off the bus there, you know, you see phones light up, you know, and like exchanging numbers and let's do this again. And it was like this instant community thing, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was pretty cool. It was cool to watch, you know? So we did that for a while. I guess that was my first more direct exposure, uh, to working with the access fund. Um, I've, I've known Brady Robinson who has, well now he's moved on, um, from the access fund, but I, I've known him for a good handful of years and I came to him asking him actually about, well, what are your thoughts? Um, both personally and professionally, let's say on an Indian Creek bouldering guidebook. Mm -hmm. Like I'm thinking about doing this. I'm concerned about the impacts that guidebooks can bring. If, you were to do this if the access fund had input on this like what what do you think about this and first of all he was like wow you're the first person to ever ask any of us any kind of question like that um but thanks for coming thanks for asking um well that's interesting though because at the place where i learned to climb over at farley ledges in western massachusetts the one rule they had is no guidebook and they still have that rule like they're they've opened it up they put in a parking lot but they do not allow a guidebook just because of the masses that would be coming from Boston and New York. It definitely does bring a crowd when you make it that easily accessible and you don't require that mentorship when there's no guidebook, you know, it, it it definitely does change things quickly. I mean, um, I, you know, there's places all over Utah that are like that, that, you know, everyone knows about Mill Creek, but there's mm-hmm. no guidebook. There's a little bit on Mountain Project or whatever. And there's, yeah, massive parking lots and trail down there now and whatnot. And 
and everyone knows, but you know, it's, it's still kind of keep it under the radar. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's some stuff in the mountains around there that are the same way. Um, so what did Brady say? Uh, well, you know, we <laughs> talked uh, for a long time and we, I don't know, we still kind of talk about it off and on, yeah. I'd say, you know, um, one of the, one of the points, uh, to focus on in the world, uh, when you're, when you're developing an area and thinking about releasing it to the public is like, is there historical precedent out mm -hmm. there, you know, and what kind of impact are you looking at? What's already there? How are you getting to these boulders for one? And that's, for me, that's one of the pluses of the many, many pluses and minuses of a guidebook is like driving around out there. You see there's a boulder, you know, it's on the side of the road, straight shot, 500 yards out. Yeah. Well, you don't just park on the side of the road and plow across the <laughs> desert to get to it. You sure. Know? And to find a lot of these things, maybe they're in drainages or whatever, way up some other little side canyon. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it does take just a little bit, not a lot at all, but a little bit of awareness and consideration to, to go out there and not lay waste to the place as you're just trying to get to the rock, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, you're, you're you're following drainages, you're, you're following cattle trails, which, I mean, cattle grazing's been going on out there for a while, and the cows have done an amazing job of getting you trails almost right to all the yeah. bouldering areas you want to get to so you know just a little consideration there those are the two big points i guess that we covered straight off but yeah like i said we still continue to talk about it and it's uh, he, he's, he's one of the people i call when the when i'm just struggling with the, yeah. <laughs> the yes or no you know so you're a pro climber you've been in the industry now you said like 20 you've been climbing 20 25 years you know why has it been such a big part of your life and your your climbing career um when you have so much else <clears throat> going on you know when when i started climbing i think there were just a lot there, there weren't so many climbers <laughs> yeah and, and i started down in durango colorado which is fairly isolated it has, sure. it's got great and and pretty rich climbing history you know but at the same time there, there weren't a whole lot of people down there and mm -hmm. even what we would call a busy crag now was usually pretty quiet. Um, so traffic was low. Everybody knew everybody. And maybe it was just a smaller world. And also, I think, I, like, I feel like I came just at the cutoff end of a generation where people tended to start climbing from some other outdoor activity. Mm -hmm. You know, like everybody who was a climber, you, you know, you went camping when you were a kid. Totally. Or maybe you were, maybe you were into hunting or like riding bikes or something, mm -hmm. whatever. We didn't have the the gym explosion that's that's happening now, so the demographics were just a little bit different. And going to these places, like again, like the the shapes attracted me when it came to climbing and, and goals and so on. But initially, the cool thing about climbing to me was to like to go to these these kind of empty places, these really cool places. Rocks are cool. You know, hanging out places that have rocks. It's it's yeah. neat. It's it's cool geography. It's cool landscape and little ecosystems and whatnot that mm -hmm. are uh, unique to each individual area. It's 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 nice, and you grow to appreciate that. You know, so um, uh, working within this like ever expanding and contracting sort of wavelength of awareness of like, all right, I'm concentrating on the micro, which is like the one move on my project to the the bigger picture of like that's the 11th great sunset in a row or what have you you know it's and, and and different places have different languages and different histories and different styles and whatnot i, I think just with travel and with time and you you, you develop an appreciation for yeah. a place you know and you you want to take care of it and you want to mm -hmm. keep it kind of the way maybe you found it so that other people can have the same uh chance at the the experience that mm -hmm. it's been for me being a climber yeah, yeah with climb i feel lucky <laughs> yeah totally and, and I you look at areas like fontainebleau that are like a hundred and something years uh -huh. old you know and you know they've gone through all kinds of stuff over the years from like nailed boots and, and chipped holds to like uh -huh. to the invention of sticky rubber you know to like uh uh inventing circuits to raising standards you know um and they've been doing it for a hundred years it'd be cool to say to to look at some of our areas and and be like wow that that one that one's looking good at a hundred mm -hmm. years old you know yeah absolutely so you wrote an article for climbing and it's uh, prep for alpine bouldering it's going to be in our June July issue it's part of the skills department can you maybe 
uh, point out a few of the tips that you put in that article and maybe if you were to speak to somebody who had never been alpine bouldering before like what's the the one thing that you would want to impress <laughs> upon them back a lunch oh man um yeah bring everything <laughs> <laughs> oh man um i i remember my first bouldering trip up to to what we think of around here as the alpine uh -huh. um it was i think the year after uh all of the the big initial groundswell of development and bouldering went on up there mm -hmm. um when when like dave graham and luke parody and uh, joe kinder and oh i don't i don't even remember who all was going up there um, jim belser was up there like crushing right around that time i think it was yeah the following year uh i came up here from durango where i was living at the time to visit a friend and i remember hiking up the bear lake trail just suffering you know and i, <laughs> I, I even lived at like seven thousand feet and i yeah. was like man when is this gonna be over <laughs> and you get up there and you know a lot of stuff is kind of long and kind of steep and covers a lot of rocky ground and uh, here comes weather, you know, <laughs> it's, there's a lot of things you jump right into the deep end of the pool in a mm -hmm. way, which is kind of funny because you're still like an hour from the car, Yeah, you know, but you're kind of out in the rain and thunder and lightning and stuff like, and that stuff comes in quick, super quick, you know, and you can rely on it. You yeah, know? yeah, you can. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I guess first and foremost, keep your eyes open. Uh-huh. Yeah, be prepared. Mm -hmm. um, staying warm and dry is key, and not dying of thirst or hunger is a good idea, too. Your metabolism speeds up, you get dehydrated faster, it's freaking freezing cold one minute, and mm -hmm. <laughs> cooking, too. I can't do the project right now, I can't stick. Have you ever <laughs> had any epics while Alpine Boulder? <clears throat> oh my god, yeah. Jeez, first one that comes to mind was being up at up at the Hallett Boulder, um, above Emerald Lake and under Hallett Peak. Um, I was working on a problem there. Gosh, maybe it was, is it Stranger in a Strange Land? I can't remember the name of it now. Um, anywho, it's kind of this tiered roof uh -huh. over a, like a square cut sit down on it boulder. That's yeah. kind of like right in the middle of the crux, you know? And, um, you're in this kind of techie little bicycle and I, I fell out of that move and sat on my left foot right on the corner of this rock mm -hmm. and broke my foot. Oh. And like, you know, again, you're, you're not that far from the car, but yeah, crab walking and hopping and stuff like that. That was uh -huh. like kind of, yeah, yeah, it wasn't the best. You can, you can always find a good walking stick until you need one. But <laughs> yeah, a long way down the talus and then hopping down the trail, you know, all the way down there and, uh, <laughs> Oh man, then I got a speeding ticket for going like three miles over on the, my way out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you tell him he had a broken foot? <laughs> yeah, and he didn't believe me, man. It was kind of rugged, you know. It was it wasn't a great interaction, but you know, bad luck, bad day, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of the that's the the first one that comes to mind because I actually broke something real good. Weather happens all the time, though. You yeah. Know, you could either get shut out or trapped or shut down. Or one great day some summers ago, there was this huge crew up at Area D in Mount Evans. Mm -hmm. And with all these people there, you know, people, all these pads, people were trying all the highballs. There was this massive lineup on the nothing. And mm -hmm. it was a good time, you know. And here we are, way up high, 12,000 feet or so at the top of this bowl. And then the weather just kind of comes over the cliff you know just like that and and then everybody's just trapped and we're there for a couple of hours and you know finally there's sort of maybe a break in the storm uh -huh. and you have to hike up to yeah. get out of your to get back to your car yeah, you that's know right. there's like a thousand feet of elevation gain and maybe half a mile or something uh -huh. so we just started pounding for it you know and oh man more lightning rolls in and like hiking <laughs> further up into the storm on the big exposed slope and all of that like I don't know. Yeah, suddenly it, it changes from from bouldering to like <laughs> alpine esque with big old square on your back. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, totally. You can get into it pretty quick, but uh... so one thing I'd like to talk to, talk about is conservation in the alpine zone because we were talking about conservation earlier. But I think not a lot of people know about how fragile 
that environment is. And one thing that I've noticed over the years is there's been a lot of controversy over pad stashing um, in the alpine zone, but also just, you know, cleaning off boulders and stuff like that. I think you have to be a little bit more careful about the impact in the alpine zone because it doesn't come back as quickly as it would at a lower elevation. Do you, do you agree with that? Or Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it is a sensitive uh, environment, especially when we talk about places that have uh, things like alpine tundra, yeah. for example. You know, it's, it's, there's a huge chunk of the year, um, and maybe using Mount Evans as an example, let's say Lincoln Lake, big, sunny, dry slope much of the year, you know, um, and sensitive, you know, if it, if it catches a whole lot of traffic, um, you, you lose kind of all the grasses and, and whatnot that sort of hold the, the, the slope together, you mm-hmm. know, and give us all the great wildflowers in July and stuff like that. Also, there's a whole bunch of critters up there that are going to be eating your power bars, you know, I mean, you can climb on the black wall and whatnot and watch the marmots come running up. They've, they've They'll eat through to... your backpack. Too. Oh, yeah. The, the, this, <laughs> we met this guy um, up there who had put up a number of the roots on the black wall. And while we were climbing, yeah, marmot totally tore into his pack, ate his phone case, ate half of his lunch, <laughs> like just ruined stuff, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, a little awareness out there for <laughs> for the critters helps too. But um, especially when you consider, um, like we're kind of in a unique area here on the Front Range because we're we're close to to Denver and Boulder and Fort Collins, and, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of climbers here, and we have one hour access to to big time alpine areas. You know, that's great. That's super convenient. That convenience that accessibility can really easily mean well there's a lot of traffic you know everybody getting on the same page we've been doing pretty good actually yeah um a lot of people self-police really well there's been a a handful of cleanups that we've done over Mm -hmm. the years Um, various people have volunteered to organize and clean up stuff at uh, mount evans and and up at the park even and whatnot um yeah we we do pretty good around here i think Yeah. yeah And what about your pad selection for the alpine? Does Ooh. it does it depend on the area? Totally. It's I mean so many alpine areas. Well, uh, usually when you can talk about an alpine area, you can you can just sort of jump the gun and think talus, you yeah, know, totally. like so many bad landings out there. It's not all like that though, is it? You know, sometimes you're walking out there and it's knee deep flowers, you know, mm-hmm. it's awesome. So, I, I mean, I tend to like to have, I, I use it like a, a BD Mondo pad mm-hmm. pretty much all the time. The They just released some new ones and they're they're lighter than the others. Uh, same square footage and whatnot. And square footage is kind of what I'm going for whenever I'm in the Alpine to cover all those uh-huh. pointy rocks and stuff. A lot of the places like Rocky Mountain National Park comes to mind since... There's kind of a lot of longer boulder problems there, mm-hmm. and they they're they're steep, so they cover a lot of ground. Um, so yeah, that that square footage, that coverage goes a long ways. Depending on what I'm after, typically I'll carry at least a mondo, or maybe like a, a mondo and a drop zone attached to the back or something uh-huh. like that. You know, um, <laughs> depends on the hike. <laughs> yeah, and are you doing much reconnaissance? Oh, absolutely. Especially like when you haven't been to an area in a while, because sometimes you don't even know what to expect. You don't know how much snow is going to be out there. Mm -hmm. If you're going to have to dig out uh, landing zones, and Uh, I, I, that's actually a really good point. There isn't a whole lot of. uh, There should be some resource somewhere where somebody can like say, "All right, it's spring, but it's not exactly late spring. It's not quite summer, and I want to come out from." boston and climb in the park yeah <laughs> somewhere they should be able to find out like hey eh, not this year man you don't know <laughs> yeah. maybe give it like another <laughs> month or two even, yeah you know yeah i mean everything from the amazingness that, that google earth is uh to, to finding spots for finding spots out there in, in the nowhere uh-huh. to uh I, i'm kind of a dork on conditions reports and stuff i watch the weather pretty religiously um, and what I, sites are you using for conditions? I, I like uh, a combination of like NOAA and Wonderground. Okay. Kind of my favorites. Yeah. And I'll dig up webcams and stuff sure. like that. Uh, webcams are awesome if you can find them. Uh-huh. Um, but <clears throat> you were talking about recons. Like, yeah, that's absolutely first first tracks of the season. You know, yeah. <laughs> super cool. That's always fun when you walk up there and you're like, ooh, 
no one's been up to the <laughs> such and such boulder yet or whatever you know it's cool to just make a day out of that you know mm-hmm. don't take your pads maybe take a a chalk bag and yeah. you know put your gaiters on and some poles and just go swimming out there yeah. and like see what things are like maybe take a shovel start digging do some community service you know uh-huh. build a little flat landing and some benches to sit on <laughs> you know yeah it's uh yeah I, I look forward to that actually i'm looking forward to that this year i've got these uh um i've got these i i'm not a skier at all i've never skied i, I know how to snowboard sort of <laughs> but i got these fat little trekking skis that bd just started making and they're for like cruising around they're like snowshoes but skis yeah. so i'm kind of psyched to go back to you know with this heavy snow that we had this year uh-huh. to, to trek up to somewhere in the park or like up to area b and mount evans and uh-huh. check out some of those highballs with the bad landings <laughs> see if there's anything that can be uh leveled out and before i let you go i have one more difficult question so do you have a most memorable alpine boulder send most or first memorable alpine boulder send in the alpine i've been so like in the desert for like yeah. the last <laughs> four years so i'm like hmm, well that one was good whoa that one was really good whoa um well let's just let's open it up it doesn't have to be in the alpine um well i, I can't say like right now I'm, I'm the thing i'm most excited about and like uh if we can step out of the Alpine. Sure. Um, I, I, I just did my, what, two-year boulder project out in the creek last week. Whoa. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty satisfying. It was kind of a scary thing. And, and uh, kind of a walk out in, out, out uh-huh. in the backcountry. And um, I spent a lot of days working on it. When I first found it, I sort of thought it was like a... Uh, I don't know, it's going to be like a V6 or maybe like a V8 or something yeah. like that. And it's tall and scary, but like looks solid. It's compression. It's like maybe I can just like jog out here and knock it out and it'll be awesome, you know. And when I did just jog out there with a pad and shoes and stuff, <laughs> I pulled onto it and immediately got the the scope of just how <laughs> how involved it uh it was going to turn out to be. So, yeah battled like, you know, either end of the seasons getting either too cold or too hot or a whole lot of solo top rope practice type yeah. of thing like with this weird lasso sling because it's a really steep pillar it's like okay. it sticks out into space at you know like a 80 degree angle or something like that uh-huh. <laughs> so um and the ground falls away from it uh the higher you go the higher you get kind of like uh, the further out you go and it's hardest at the end and uh, it, there was just all these factors you know and it's you know it's um, it's about 4 miles in the back country yeah and um you know it, it was nice when people were out there a handful of times some folks came out and sort of backed me up or mm-hmm. yeah part of me wanted to do it by my, by myself yeah you know? huh and um I, i've had a lot of that out there do you there, feel like there's you know? less pressure when there's not people there oh all kinds of things like uh you, you know um I I feel like when I go out, say with a group of people, we're out and we're like we're we're hanging out, you know. If I'm working on a project, that's almost like I wouldn't say anything like a, a work day or anything like yeah, that. But you, you're there to yeah. do something. You yeah. got to focus, and it's got to be about you and your uh-huh. day and how you're feeling and whatnot. Especially if you're trying something hard, yeah, um, or or scary or like all of this, you know, extra baggage with the thing, like sit there with it and concentrate and take your time. That, that's what I need to do anyways for, for a boulder problem, say. So going out with folks sometimes, like it's it's easy for me to get distracted, you know? Mm-hmm. And, oh, we're just hanging out now. Yeah. And just, it's a fun day. Ah, I sure, don't, I'll I have, don't have to. Yeah, let's do you know, totally, you know? And let's let's do this thing. Oh, yeah, I can't say no to this one. Yeah. And all of a sudden, eh, we don't really need to go to the thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. like, I don't want you guys to walk all the way out there or whatever, but... <clears throat> all kinds of things though really like um you know sometimes people's encouragement gets you up stuff sometimes mm-hmm. people's bad vibe keeps you from getting up stuff you know like i don't know i've climbed alone for a long time and it's interesting though i do i have of late sort of felt maybe like uh, more like climbing with other people lately and this last experience and, and just my last trip to europe which was it was solo trip for like six six plus weeks uh-huh. 
yeah, I, uh, it's interesting. I'm kind of feeling like doing something else now. And this last project was kind of like a little, uh, a little punctuation yeah. to that thought in a way like, Hey, wow, this was rad. And this was a really cool journey for you and whatnot. And, you know, I don't think it's like a done thing or anything, mm-hmm. but were you able to document that at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Is that out online? No, no, I'm hanging on to it until okay. I, <laughs> I've got a purpose for it, I think. Okay, so, cool. Yeah. I would actually like, you know, so I'm out there and I'm by myself and I've got one camera and one angle. Uh-huh. And it's a super crazy, impressive line. So I kind of want to like wrangle somebody up who knows what they're doing and has a, a crew and, you uh-huh. know, get some, maybe a drone permit or something and, <laughs> yeah. and shoot it properly. Cause it's really, it's really impressive. I'm really like, it's, I'm really attached to it. It's sort of been like, polluting my climbing for like the last two years I, I haven't hardly been able to like concentrate on other stuff i spent all last year like trying to learn how to off with climb and get trad climbing better and whatnot and interesting <laughs> yeah it was interesting and you know i don't know the whole time it, no matter where i'm at no matter what i'm trying i've been thinking about this thing so it's kind of so nice to get on. it off the plate really yeah. you know oh i don't know yeah big projects can be like that too yeah what got you into climbing in the first place? Obviously, you know, you've already talked about your connection to the outdoors and the shapes and the beauty, but how were you first introduced? Like, Well, so I, I used to be into, I, I've skateboarded since I was like 10 mm-hmm. and I used to race mountain bikes in high school and stuff like that. I was really into downhill and dual slalom and those were kind of my big focuses. Skateboarding was kind of what I think defined most of my youth, I would say. And we used to go in this little town, Durango, we'd all jump in a car and go out of town and go out to what I later discovered was like a little boulder garden where people go and climb. That's just this cluster of boulders outside of town called Turtle Lake. Uh-huh. And we would go up and get on the big, we were like 16, you know, or yeah. something. get on the big boulder and burn some bowls, man, and hang out, you know, <laughs> and, and it was just cool. It was cool to be out there. And, um, I, I would always push for it. Like, oh, let's, get, let's get out of town, you know, let's mm-hmm. get out somewhere cool. There's a nice view out there and we'd climb up onto this boulder, you know, and it's maybe 30 feet tall and maybe like five, two or something, you know, just engaging enough in a pair of like simple skate shoes. You yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> but I remember coming down from that boulder with this, you know, posse of miscreants and like we're just kind of like <laughs> threading through the little trails that go through all the gamble oak and whatnot. And right at the overhanging roadside boulder, there's this dude just locking off and climbing super smoothly out through this really steep overhang uh-huh. first thing you see when you pull up is like wow there's this overhanging boulder with chalk on holds and i remember you know hanging out and watching him climb for a bit and um pulling on a couple of the holds and immediately getting the idea of like whoa you there's some mastery involved to like uh, you don't you don't to, to not just like thrutch and black and somehow latch the next hold, but to, uh-huh. to pull on and smoothly move with control. I got a sense of this, the scale of uh, strength and, and balance and all this stuff like uh, right away. And so I talked to the guy for a little while and was like, so, so what's the deal here? You know, and he started pointing out lines to me. Well, here's how it goes. We start here. We climb up this way and that's one route tops out right there. Here's another one over here that goes up through these pockets, cuts to the left. You know, here's another line. I watched him climb a little bit, and I did one, and I and I got it. Like I walked around this boulder garden, and I could see lines. Uh-huh. You know, from then on, like it's like the Matrix. Oh, totally. Everything just sort of <laughs> fell into place, and you know, and I'm walking around these big boulders, and I'm seeing lines that you know that you know, line of chalk, and you're like, okay, cool, I get it, I see the moves. And, and then and spots where there weren't lines yet. And you're like, those, those holds connect, you know, and uh-huh. it just, yeah, it fell into place right away. And, uh, it's, it seemed cool. You know, I mean, my, my first exposure to climbing growing up in tiny town, Texas, like I did was like, I, national geographic, you yeah. know, I think some, some guys were suffering up K2, you know, <laughs> um, looked heinous, yeah. you know, so like. I took my mom's sewing kit apart and made like a climbing rig for some Lego guys, you know, because <laughs> that was really cool. Other than yeah. that, I like ate it out under my treehouse yeah. <laughs> in like army gear and stuff and like took grounders, breaking, not climbing gear, you know, hardware store stuff. And yeah, I didn't climb until I was like oh, 15, 16 okay. when I moved to Durango, to okay. Colorado. 
Well, thanks for stopping by. It's been good talking. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thanks, Chris. Well, that's the end of this show. Thank you for tuning in. I want to thank our sponsor, Evolve. Make sure to check out their new lifestyle shoe, The Rebel, available at REI and REI.com. Also want to thank Anton Karpichka and Chris Schulte for stopping by. Theme music was provided by Small Houses at smallhouses.band. And if you've not done so already, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. That's it. See you at the next base camp.